Moses, the way of an intercessor. Lesson 8 Father, we thank you once again for your word. And again, oh God, you said that the entrance of your word brings light. It brings understanding. It brings, it brings understanding. It brings understanding, Father, to the simple. So I ask in Jesus' name once again, Father, that you would open our ears, open our hearts, that we might hear individually what the Holy Spirit would teach us I always marvel, Father, at how you'll have 50 people in a room and you'll speak 50 things to 50 people Amen. with one message because you so love us as individuals. You meet us at our individual place of need and where we're at. So anyhow, Lord, we just say again, we, we're so desperately in need of you. Um, you're the only one that can change our lives. You're the only ones that can use us. And we're, by coming here, Father, we're simply trying to declare that we are willing candidates to be taught by you and to learn by you, but to be much more than just taught. We want to be doers of the word. Amen. And uh, I expect, Father, that you, you take these people out. And I, I, just, I just have a sensing in my spirit, Father, that this is but the tip of the iceberg for many. That, that like happened to me, that some of these are going to look back at their lives years from now and remember some things that they're listening to. They'll hear this They'll hear these words and their spirit rise up like I did in mine from my teachers so many times. In Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. But God's reply when Moses said, they will not believe me, this man, this intercessor in training, was what do you have in your hand? So I'm going to read this real quickly, these five points, A through E. What do you have already? God says, I'll teach you how to bring freedom to others with something already in your possession. Moses' responsibility is going to be to wield the rod as God instructs. Point C, God takes Moses through personal exercises, the throwing down of the rod, the hand into his own bosom. I put this registers with all of us, the desire of God to show himself to us privately before he would use us for himself publicly. Similar to David not using Saul's armor. Now let me just read through this little notes I have down on here on, on the rod Again, you can look at different commentaries and get different statements. This is from the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, just a few little statements. The rod, it says, it's translated as staff, stick, shaft, branch, tribe. This derivative is found about 250 times. Although the term properly means staff or rod, it is usually rendered some 180 times tribe. The reference is usually to one of the 12 tribes by name. At first, apparently, each tribal ruler led his group with a staff. This suggests that the ruler's staff may have originally been a symbol of the tribe and eventually it betokened the leadership and the, well, I don't know if on your notes, but in my notes, I've lost the word authority. <laughs> eventually betokened leadership and authority. It was used as a, as a support when traveling. The young warrior Jonathan carried a staff, the staff of Moses and Aaron are best known because of the supernatural wonders associated with them. An interesting example, often misused, now listen to this clearly so that you don't get confused by the statement. There's just one little point I wanted you to see of this is why I put it in. 
An interesting example often misused is the case of Moses holding up the rod of God in the Amalekite War, which we'll really get into in the next few weeks. It is often supposed, supposed that Moses was holding up his hands in prayer, but the context says nothing of this. The power to prevail was in the rod of God, the symbol of his power. In other words, why I want you to see that is that this doesn't take away from, but the power wasn't in his hands being lifted up. Now, why I want you to hear that is because while we're to have our hands lifted up, we need something in them. And what we need in them, in any way you look at it in particular, is this rod. Now, again, without going through a lot of other different uh, reference books, when it's all said and done, you've heard me refer to the fact that the rod always refers to authority. It refer, refers to the strength of the, of the authority that you walk in. In other words, it was that which was going to have authority released through it. God's going to use that that's in his hand to show forth his authority. When God gives you authority, he wants it consecrated. This is why you're going to see Moses when he comes to the battle with the Amalekites later on, like I said, in the next few weeks. He's going to hold the rod up to God. There's the posture of holding it out like over the sea, but then there's this posture of holding it up before God in two hands. But just, let's just walk with that for a moment because I, like I said, I've got to, got to kind of hurry. But point two, just underneath that. The first act of God shows Moses he created the serpent and at his command, man can handle the serpent. Our enemy, the type of Satan and sin. Now again, that's similar to Isaiah 54, 16 where he said, I have created the waster that destroys the smith that bloweth upon the coals. And really, like I said, if you look that up through a word study, it speaks to this issue. It says, I created him, so I know how to handle him. So God has Moses throw this down. But one thing, again, it also, as it says even the Amplified, the serpent symbolized the authority of Pharaoh in all of Egypt because that's what the Egyptian pharaohs wore on this plummet that came above their head. They wore this serpent. That was a sign of the kingly authority that they had. So there's, in other words, dual references, maybe several references here. Don't limit yourself. Remember, even in prophecy, they have often what they call the law of double reference. In Old Testament theology, you'll find prophecies that deal with the there and now, but you'll also see prophecies that have a future reference in the day that you and I live in. So there's often, in a good Bible college, they'll teach you on what's called the law of double reference. There's often more than one reference. In other words, don't limit yourself to just one aspect of what God's trying to say. But the second act of God, when Moses puts his hand into the bosom of his robe and pulls it out leprous and puts it back in, there's another sign that's being showed there. And this second act of God shows that through Moses' intervention, the sin of Israel will be cleansed. Let me read Exodus 4, or this one part, 1 through 9. This is just a part of the commentary from Matthew Henry. He says that whereas the Israelites in Egypt had become leprous and polluted by sin, because remember, leprosy is always a type of sin in the Old Testament, that whereas the Israelites in Egypt had become leprous, polluted by sin, and almost consumed by oppression, Numbers 12, 12 says a leper is as one dead, by being taken into the bosom of Moses, they should be cleansed and cured and have all their grievances redressed. Now that is again interesting and it's important because of this issue of an intercessor. What happens is when Moses puts his hand in here, comes out leprous, it represents all of the sin of God's people. And the issue is, again, putting it into his bosom. And why I want you to hear that is because of what we're going to get to in a moment, because you, you have to carry things in your heart to become effective. Uh, 
forgive me for moving fast, but I have to. We'll get to that in a second. To carry, point four, to carry in the bosom always speaks of something done from the center of the heart, the center of tenderness. Numbers eleven twelve in the Amplified says, Have I conceived all this people? Have I brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nursing father carries the sucking child to the land which he swore to their fathers to give them? But again, if you can just see the issue, Shall I carry them in my bosom as a nursing father carries his suckling child? Because again, that's where fathers would often carry the child, the baby, when the mother didn't have the baby in her possession, the father would again put this child, lay this child right up here in his robe, and he would carry the child like this as he walked through the streets wherever he was. But again, get the picture of what this is all about. Isaiah 40, 11 says, He will feed, and this is a prophetic reference to Jesus, of course, He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and will gently lead those that have their young. So I'd simply put down here the question, what are some of the prayer issues that you carry in your heart? Now, again, I just want you to understand that there's a big difference, like I said, between, I'm relating back to what I shared in the first few weeks, to those things that may interest or whet your interest at the moment, as opposed to those things that you carry in your heart. And we apt to carry things in our heart that have to deal with those that are closest to us, like your own children or your own family or what have you, and that's fine. But however you want to look at it, it's okay. But at least this is what we're trying to say. These issues that you carry in your heart are the ones that you're going to watch over the most tenderly and care for the most. And this is why I relate back to, again, like I said, when it's a real matter of intercession, some of the ugliest things on earth God can place in the center of your heart. And it's absolutely... Uh, you know, it just, it, it kind of, it confuses you, it, it makes you feel alarmed, it causes you to go through all kinds of, uh, you know, why could God put this kind of a situation in my heart? What I mean is God can make you fall in love with the most horrific, you know, derelict in the streets of London. By falling in love, I don't mean romantically, ladies, okay? <laughs> what I mean is your heart can so go out, you know, the statement, how we use that phrase. God can do something that that you know is way beyond your natural capabilities. In other words, you didn't naturally have some affinity towards a situation, but somehow God touches your heart with this. And again, as I said earlier, it's one of these things that you would like to escape from, but you can't because it's not from you, it's from heaven. It's something that God puts in your heart and you begin to carry it in your heart. And again, this is why we go back to the privacy issue. If God puts something in your heart, it's very difficult for somebody else to understand how heavy it is to you or how powerful or how important it is to you. You remember how I talk about when we talk about revelation, how sometimes we've all done this where you've been reading the Bible and you read something goes, wow. And I mean, it just goes off and say, that is so cool. And so you immediately want to run and tell about your best friend or three people, look at this, look at what I found. And they go, eh, that's cool. Yeah. And you feel this kind of surge of disappointment because it didn't inspire them at all. It's because they weren't where you were at. And so you kind of go away going, oh, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> but I, I'm saying because God was talking to you. He was showing you something. And so it's just important to catch these, that intercessors are going to be people that may not, no one else may not understand what they're carrying in their heart. And forgive me for belaboring the point, but that's why, again, you need to practice your faith before God as in the presence of God. Remember, hast thou, Romans 6, hast thou faith, have it to thyself, 
before God. Practice it as in the presence of God alone. Point D, the next thing he says, and I'll read from is here that I'm not eloquent in speech. So let me read back out of Exodus 4 real quickly. Verse 10, And Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent or a man of words, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech, and I have a heavy and an awkward tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? In other words, you know, catch up, Moses. Really understand, you're looking at your mouth one way. I'm looking at your mouth another way. I'm the guy that made your mouth so I can fill it if I want to. Who has made man's mouth? Verse 12, now therefore go. In other words, don't wait till you think, don't wait because of your natural limitations because he, he did stutter and so on. He said, but don't wait because of your natural limitations. He said, I will be with your mouth and will teach you what you shall say. And then he says, of course, oh, and oh, my Lord, I pray you send by the hand of some other whom you will send. You know, I take solace in some of this because when you read like with Moses or even Abraham, because Abraham made all kinds of mistakes as well. But all of these guys were full of, of personal inadequacies, inadequacies. At least they were so aware. I mean, much less Moses. But so many of these people, whoever you study in the Bible, you consistently see these scriptures that point to how people felt about themselves and how they were so aware of their own personal shortcomings. I am aware of my shortcomings. Trust me. I really am. You need to get over yourself. You have to understand you don't, we don't do anything in our own strength. If you have been doing things in your own strength, that's why you're not getting much fulfillment because all you'll get is the applause of man, but you will never get the peace of God. The peace of God begins to build in your life when you begin to do things that he asks you to do in spite of all of your shortcomings. As you begin to just step out and quit making excuses if there's anything that God's people have to get a hold of in this day is quit making excuses. Just quit it. And I'm commanding you in Jesus' name, quit it. Stop. Stop making excuses and waiting and comparing yourself to others like it says in Corinthians, when you compare yourself among yourselves, you make yourselves unwise. And one translation says you make yourself a fool. Don't compare your level of spirituality with somebody else's level of spirituality. Remember that God's no respecter of persons and remember that God's with you as much as he is with Reinhard Bonnke. God plays no favorites. You hear me? God plays no favorites. The only difference between you and anyone else is the level of obedience that you have and also the level of discipline that you've determined in your life to listen to God and to be obedient to what he says to do. Hallelujah. But yes, the gifts and the callings of God are different in different areas of people. But the fact is, again, God's never intended for any of his people to be spiritually redundant. To understand that. None of you have the right to be on spiritual welfare. All of you have something in your life to do from heaven, even if it's just be a good wife or if it's to be a good husband or if it's to be uh, whatever it is. You see, you must not belittle your present situation. The Bible, I forget what the scripture is right now, but remember it talks about that wherever 
you are, it says, wherever you're found when you find your faith, to remain faithful therein. In other words, don't immediately try to graduate to something that you're not involved in. Let me tell you something. We need, now don't, I'm not being silly, we need anointed rubbish collectors. I'm serious. Everybody wants to be in the ministry, but we have to get past that and remember that all of us are in the ministry, regardless of pulpit situations. Remember, ministry doesn't have anything to do with the pulpit. God help us. Slowly but surely, we're finally getting delivered from that. But ministry doesn't mean you have letters behind your name or that you lead a church or that you lead a prayer group or that you lead a cell group or that you lead a house group. That has nothing to do with ministry. Would you please get that? You're children of God. If you're children of God, you are all ministers of God's reconciliation of God's love. But if everybody, just think about it, if everybody was in the pulpit, who would they preach to? I mean, it sounds silly, but that's why, like Paul says, if all of you were an arm, where would be the legs? If all of you were ears, where would be the seeing? We're all members of one body that are jointly fit together. We all have different expressions of how we're used, but you see, there's a stronghold in your thinking. You have to get delivered from thinking that ministry is something that takes place here. Ministry is something that takes place in the streets. This is instruction. This is teaching. This is guidance. This is all of the above. But ministry is where there's, where there's a transference from heaven to people that don't know heaven from somebody that knows heaven. That's ministry. And that happens in the marketplace. That happens in Tesco. That happens on the tube. You know, but if we're always of the mind, I'll refer you to my minister. You know, I want you to be delivered from that because your minister is Jesus Christ and he lives in you. So refer them to your spirit. (laughs) But please let's, you know, submit ourselves to the spirit of God and and have our spirit taught. He said, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you. Now, down on the outline, point D, I am, he said, his next excuse was, I am not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and I have a heavy or an awkward tongue. Point one, God's answer is, I made your mouth. I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Now, this is so simple, but I want you to hear this. How will God, how, how will God be with anyone's mouth, much less Moses' mouth? How is God going to be with his mouth? Hmm? I'm not trying to trick you. It's the same way anytime. It's when his mouth, Moses' mouth, was going to be filled with what God had told him to say. Did you hear me? The way God was going to be with his mouth is when his mouth was full of what God told him to say. Now that brings up the classic teaching on the words of your mouth and confession, homologeo. The word means to speak the same thing as. God is with you when you're speaking what God says. God's with you in strength. This is what, you see, God's word is anointed, even if you're not. Now, your discipline and your prayer life can cause anointings to increase on you as an individual. But never doubt that God's word is always anointed. God's word is always anointed. That's why somebody that doesn't even know God sometimes can refer to a scriptural or biblical reference to you and it can just really touch you. Had nothing to do with the delivery boy. 
It had to do actually with just the fact that it caught you at that vulnerable moment. But God's with your mouth by virtue of His Word being with your mouth. Well, today, you and I are blessed. We're not out in the desert listening for voices. Well, most of us aren't. <laughs> we have 66 books that the Spirit of God has saw fit to have written for us. The will of God, the known will of God, has been made very clear in several areas. Several areas. All through Scripture, we have the known will of God, in particular in the New Testament. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ was the will of God in action. So I can see what the will of God is. And I've got a whole lot of the promises of God that, remember, we go back to the basic faith, faith teaching. Again, 2 Corinthians 1.20, as many as are the promises of God, they are all answered yes in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we utter the amen to them. We say, so be it. So and the Bible says, you know, this, this, we're to keep this consistently in our mouth. So God will be with our mouth too. I mean, God's with my mouth and you'll be with yours. I put down the basic faith principle. Faith is always released through the words of your mouth first. Then it's followed by corresponding actions. It is point three, speaking what God has said to say that will carry the power. It is speaking what God has said to say that will carry the power. And therein lies the difference between the rhema and the logos again, as opposed to the whole written word of God. Ephesians, remember, and take the sword which the Spirit wields, which is the rhema of God, praying always. Remember the definition of the word rhema. W.E. Vine's dictionary says, rhema is not the logos of God, the entirety of the word of God, but the individual scripture that the Holy Spirit brings up into your remembrance for use in time of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with scripture. The prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind of scripture. Take the sword which the Spirit wields. What the Holy Spirit will wield is a rhema that we have. It's when we've been in the Word of God, remember, and when we've been before Him in prayer, and we just read just faithfully day by day, continue to make deposits upon our spirit, deposits upon our mind, renewing our mind, filling our spirit with God's Word. That is when the Holy Spirit, when we come up to a particular circumstance or situation, that's when the Holy Spirit has something to bring up into our remembrance for use in this time of need. That's where the power is. The power is always in the rhema of God, not just any verse. But it's when that Holy Spirit brings up that verse, that's when you have power in your mouth because it's not something you thought of. It's something the Holy Spirit, listen, not you, the Holy Spirit, is authorizing you to speak. Therefore, it's going to change something, impact something, because it is a rhema. It, it is. Just a knowing him. <laughs> then Moses, of course, uh, his next thing is, verse 13, and he said, Oh, my Lord, I pray you, send by the hand of some other. Send by the hand of some other whom you will send. Then verse 14, after all of these excuses, this one finally just ticks God off. <laughs> and he said, 
Then the anger of the Lord blazed against Moses. He said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Also, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be overjoyed. You must speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. He shall speak for you to the people, acting as a mouthpiece for you. And you shall be as God to him. Now, again, I, I think reading between the lines that I, I, I think I could easily say that God was fully intending to use Moses only. But again, you know, God will use, with, God will work with what he has to work with. But the thing that I would like us to learn from this is just, this is the one thing that makes God angry as far as this issue of his continual. I mean, he's shown himself. Remember, the Spirit of God is manifested in this burning bush. God has shown himself to him. God is speaking to him clearly. He's going, Moses is going through his list of excuses and his fears because, I mean, this is new business to him. But nevertheless, he finally, you know, God shows himself alive to him personally through the rod being thrown down and turned into a serpent. Moses takes it by the tail at the command of the Lord, saying, God is showing him, you can deal with this. You've got authority here. Puts his hand in his bosom, brings it out leprous, puts it back in, comes out clean. I mean, these are personal things. This God has done something with him personally. Personally. God will do something for every one of you personally. I would hope that most of you, if not the majority of you, have had a personal something happen in your life where God, no matter how small it may have been, but in a personal way, like I said, has shown himself to you where it may not be some mountain-moving experience like others talk about that makes you think like they happen every day because they don't happen every day. But I'm telling you, all of you, and this is why remembrance is so important, you need to hook an anchor onto this thing. God has dealt with you. You have heard from God in the past. And there have been those times where you know that you know that you know that you've been touched by Him and He has done something for you that was alive, that was real. Now, it may to you be a long time ago or what have you, but the fact is he's done something. Then it comes to this, like I said, God's frustration from all of Moses' fears and concerns causes him to grow angry. And I simply said to consistently, and this to me is important too, is to consistently desire to run from the call of God will only cause yourself many, many problems. Now that is so simple, but... I just put, would you please accept the commission, whatever it may be, whether it's in the realm of intercession or whether it's individualistic, but accept the commission and obey God. I'll tell you why. The first example I got there, and of course we could take time to run to it, but Jonah, we all know the story of Jonah. God speaks to him to go down to Nineveh to tell the people to repent, and he runs from the call of God, gets on a ship to Tarshish and what have you, and of course we all know the story the ship is almost sunk. I mean, there's so many things to teach there. It's dangerous to be around people out of the will of God too much. It really is. I'm serious. It's very dangerous to be around people who are consistently out of the will of God. And don't panic. If your husband's not saved, I didn't say go divorce him. All right, so quit it. So quit going and getting wacky on me. But I'm saying if people are consistently running from the call of God, you know, it's, and they're not the best people to continually fellowship with. When you know that 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 God has definitely, definitively spoken to them. And they're doing their best to not just say, man, they're not just being lazy, I don't think I'll do that. But I mean, they're effectively running. They're on the road. They're out of the way. 
it's dangerous because it caused the whole ship almost to sink and what have you. So finally, they realized that Jonah and those people, and it's funny when you read between the lines, isn't it? Because you're talking about people who don't really, quote unquote, know Jehovah God. But there was enough sense in mankind then, even outside of those who were in covenant with God, to know that when people ran from their God, they were dangerous, that things were happening because there was such a belief in deities in those times. So they throw Jonah overboard, and of course what happens? Jonah swallowed, but God has prepared. I like that. God has prepared a great fish, you know, a great fish for him, and this fish swallows him. Now, the reason... I just want you to understand this. I guarantee you, whether you like me for saying this or not, if you run from the things of God, if you run from the call of God, you will find yourself swallowed up. I guarantee you, you will find yourself swallowed up by uncomfortable circumstances. And in that belly of that great fish, I knew, I just know that I know that I know that all of that bile could not create the greatest comfort zone in the world. I think there's a lot of physical pictures there that we don't like to look at that are real because he's swallowed in the belly of a great fish from running from God. I know I was swallowed up into the belly of something from running from God. And I know that there was bitterness all around me as far as the things that I was experiencing. And all of us have had that horrible, you know, no, forgive me, but you know how horrible that is when bile rises up in your throat and you go, <coughs> whatever it is, that acid from your stomach. He was in a swimming pool of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Bible says there was seaweed wrapped around his head and he was all parched white, you know, when he came out and they saw him on the shore. I mean, I would have repented too if they saw this dude walking up with stone white, albino white skin with seaweed wrapped around his head saying, repent. I would have repented or freaked out one of them. <laughs> but anyhow, Jonah's running, you know, and God gets, he, God, he, God will prepare things to frustrate your disobedience. Now hear me. I'm not saying God curses people. You know that's exactly the opposite of what I believe. God's a good God. God curses no one. But there's something about <laughs> God's love for us being so intense that he will make sure. But remember, he's not the cause of it. You're the cause of it. But he will make sure that there are things that are there and you will find yourself swallowed up because of your own disobedience. And you'll find yourself in situations that are incredibly uncomfortable until you do what he did and repent. Jonah, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is out of Jonah. It says, those who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. If you continue to just observe all those things that are empty and idle, all in the name of I'd rather do this to stay away from it, it says that you forsake the very mercy that God's apportioned for your life. That's silliness. That's really silliness. Why would anybody want to forsake the mercies of God when <laughs> that's our freedom? Our freedom is to live in the face of God's mercy, knowing that we don't deserve anything. So God's made angry when Moses wants to run. If God's beginning to deal with you about something, go back to some of those other things. If God's beginning to deal with you, know that he's already made provision. Point B, Paul, the same thing. Remember what happened with Paul when he continued to persecute the church? And it says, when Jesus appeared to him on that road to the Damascus, he said, Paul, Paul, why do you continually kick against these goads? The word is pricks, but it means to be goaded. There were a lot of things that had been, you know, along the way that had been, you know, attention getters. Has anybody here ever experienced God's attention getters? 
There were things that were, that were prompting him, that were pricking him along the way. You need to change this. You need to, you need to adjust this attitude in your life. You need to change this discipline here. You need to stop this. You need to start that. And you know that you know that you know that you know. Trust me. You know that it's for God, that it's God that's been talking to you. But you're hardened in areas just like I was and just like I probably still am in areas that I can't think of right this moment, but I'm sure that I am. Just little things that you just kind of just continually set to the side. I don't need, I just, um, I will one day. You know, one day I'll stop or I'll start or whatever. And finally, what happens with Paul is what? Finally, it's like he has, we celebrate the vision from heaven, but remember the guy struck blind. I mean, he's, he's struck blind, you know, because of his disobedience. And he says, Paul, Paul, why do you continue to persecute me? He said, why do you keep kicking against these goads that have been brought into your life? And so Paul is struck blind and you know the rest of the story, but the issue is it's tough to run from things when God's dealing with you now. And I just put God commissions Aaron, point C, to be alongside Moses. He commissions Aaron. Point two, if God comes to you with a prayer goal or is prompting you by continually bringing something to your mind or spirit. Are you listening? If God does come to you with a prayer goal or is prompting you consistently by continually, that thing that you just can't get away from. Remember what I mean? It just always keeps coming up. You know, it's so funny, huh? How we are. Then finally one day you give into, you know, well, I had and something, you do it, you obey, and God does something, and you go, well, you know, I had a hunch. I kind of had a hunch. Something told me that that was going to work if I just do it. I don't know why I waited so long. I always heard, I remember this preacher years ago when he said that. He said, people are always saying something told me about, something told me I should have done that. He said, when are you going to quit calling the Holy Ghost something? Anyhow, <laughs> if God comes to you with a prayer goal or is prompting you by continually bringing something to your mind and spirit, then go with it. Move into prayer. He wouldn't continually prompt you towards something if you weren't part of his plan to impact the situation. Now, I'm going to repeat myself what I said the last hour, but really hear that. I don't care how long your term might be or how short it may be. You have to understand that God's working with a team. We're all co-laborers working together with God. We're the vineyard. You know, he's, he's the husbandman. But we're all co-laborers in this thing. And like I say over and over again, see, the, even that's part of the thinking that we have to get corrected. Remember that we don't work for God. We work with him. Now that's, you just let that slip off your tongue, but that's incredibly important because otherwise the picture of working for God is God's up here and at his command, you're doing something for him. But that's not God's best. God's plan is that we're working with him. As far as God's concerned, we're working in this thing together. But again, you've got to continue to see this relationship tie. God does his part, but man has to do his part. People don't get free. I'm just, don't get mad when I say this. Situations don't get broken by man alone. It's God working with man. Do you hear me? But hear me, people don't get free by God alone. God works through some man, some people. Do you, I, I know I'm, it's, it's all I ever teach is the same thing, but it's the truth. We're working with him. This is God and company again, Remember. God and co. This is not just God in heaven. God's in you. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's in you. He, you, you are the vessel. You're the temple. You're the, the person that carries him with you. If you want God in that store, well, if he's in you, then isn't he going in when you go in? Isn't he? Well, is his capacity to heal, to deliver, to, to have words of knowledge and word of wisdom, is that all inside of you by virtue of being filled with God's spirit? Of course it is. But see, if your mind is always, oh, I wish somebody would come who was really anointed. Or if only so-and-so would do this or come. or See, you've got to become, you've got to work on it until you realize, wait a second, I may be, not, I may be a, a neophyte, I may be brand new at this, but God, you live in me. So we're going in this thing together. Let's go. And you go and you start and you train me to help me here now. Like we said, why am I here right now? What, what, is there anything you want me to do? You may not want me to do anything. He may not want you to do anything, but he may want you to do something. But the thing is, you won't do anything if your ears aren't open to the fact that God's in you and that God's wanting to use you as a minister of reconciliation that he wants to. And again, remember, I don't care that you can't talk well. God doesn't care that you can't talk well. God doesn't tell, care about your heredity, just like he didn't care about Gideon being from the smallest clan and from the smallest family in the smallest clan. God doesn't care about your heritage. God doesn't care about your race. God doesn't care about anything other than the fact that whether or not you're cleansed by the blood and that you've been joined unto him. You're the one that disqualifies yourself. Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. That really upset God. God had so many things. Again, Jesus, please, the basics. Jesus could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. What people believe either hinders or releases what Jesus' capacity to do is. I mean, his capacity is to heal all the sick. His capacity is to set everybody free. But what people believe determines what he's able to do. Well, if you don't even believe right about yourself... How are you going to believe for others in this thing called prayer, in this thing called intercession? I mean, if you don't even have your, this is why, you know, we, there's a saying in the world, you've got to get your mind right. Well, it's the truth in scripture too. It's the truth in church. You've got to get your mind right. God help us, seriously. It just does not happen overnight and it does not happen once a week and it does not happen twice a week. You've got to get violent with yourself. You have to become ruthless. You just have to get in motion and quit defeating and disqualifying yourself all the time and get your mind right and understand that it doesn't take, we're not asking you to take 44 hours a day. But like I said previously, you've got to start. Make sure you at least nail those one minutes an hour that I talked about, just one minute every hour. Like I said, maximize a minute. Shut yourself away from everything. Close your eyes. Don't let anybody bother you and force yourself into a minute with God. And you start doing that and pretty soon you'll be forcing yourself into more than minutes. Pretty soon you won't be forcing yourself because you'll be reaping the fruit of it and then you'll enter into the place of delight. That's that whole acronym, or not acronym, where you go from discipline, from desire to discipline to delight. You go through all these different stages, but you get to delight, where you delight to do his will, not to where, oh God, I have to go to church. <laughs> I'm coming to church. 
you just walk on in with it, and then you hinder rather than help. So get your head right. Everybody say, I'm going to get my mind right. Say, I'm going to be delivered from stinking thinking. <laughs> oh, well. Hallelujah. He wouldn't continually prompt you towards something if you weren't part of his plan to impact the situation. That's just logical. It doesn't mean you're going to be the mighty deliverer that everybody's going to recognize. Remember that we talked about that in hours past. We're not talking about personal recognition. We're talking about personal obedience. Who cares if anybody recognizes you? Who cares, really? Number three, Moses understands. And the next thing interesting is after God speaks to him here in Exodus 4, verse 16, it says, He shall speak for you to the people, acting as a mouthpiece for you, and you shall be as a God to him. Verse 17, And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall work the signs that prove I sent you. Then verse 18 says, Moses went away and returning to Jethro, his father-in-law said to him, let me go back, I pray you, to my relatives in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. The Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life or killing the Egyptian are dead. You know, I was, when I was reading over these notes again this morning, I was thinking to myself, do you actually realize the people that God uses, that if we know, I mean, do you understand how quick we are to disqualify people because of their past? I mean, you know, in the best, with the best of intentions, Moses was a murderer, and then he buried the guy without anybody knowing, thinking nobody knew. Do you understand? He murdered some. He murdered. Do you understand that? He murdered somebody, and he, he became the type of Christ. Paul not only probably killed people with his own, with his own hands, but we all know the truth about Paul. Paul hailed them into prison. It was Paul who had this thing about him that caused the death. I mean, the death, the violent martyrdom of all men are Christians. Paul, and he's the chief apostle under Jesus Christ. I mean, think of the people God uses. I mean, every one of the apostles had a prison record, so I know I'm in good company. But think about the people God uses. And today, if somebody's in the pulpit that's gone through a divorce, you disqualify them. Much less a murder. What if they murdered somebody? But that's funny because you have people in your pulpits who did murder. I have been in some of the churches where there's pastors that I know that were for, they'd served their time for murder and got saved and now lead churches. And other guys who before they were born again were divorced but aren't allowed to minister in a church. But murder was okay. Seriously, think about the people God used. But you know how we are. We're holy. And we have our rule book. After all, God just simply wouldn't use a woman like that. Or a man like that. No, he'll use them quicker than he'll use you. Trust me, you may occupy a position, but they'll occupy a call. Hallelujah. Big difference between a vocation and a call. I want you to see point three, this, that Moses went to, 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 to Jethro. And all I put, I want you to catch this. Moses understands physical and earthly authority. He goes to Jethro to be released. You hear me? He goes to Jethro to be released. 
to this commission of the Lord. And again, I'm just looking at character traits that are in the life of Moses. Point seven, dealing with Pharaoh. Now, we know Pharaoh's a type of Satan, root of the world. Now, forgive me, but I really do need to rush. Point A, wisdom, and this is something too, again, hear this in intercession. Wisdom is to aim at the heart of the enemy, not the feet. Moses doesn't confront the people of Egypt, but the prince of Egypt. You hear me? He doesn't confront the people of Egypt. He confronts the prince of Egypt. And we know in the basics of spiritual warfare, again, this whole issue about the prince over Persia, the prince of Persia versus the king of Persia, and, uh, and Isaiah and, other, and those passages where we're talking about dealing with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness and heavenly places and what have you. The way God told me a long time ago, he said this to me. He said, all, he said 99% of my people deal with, he said, the pawns. They're dealing with the things that are right in front of them, very low-level issues. And he said they don't understand if they'd ever mature and come up higher, they could deal with some of the things that rule the pawns. But right now, but see, hell will give us great, will, hell allows us to rejoice in our minor victories, in little bitty things here, and then we write newsletters about them and testify. But he could care less, because let me tell you, hell does not care about its workers. They'll just ship pawn after pawn after pawn after pawn after pawn. But when you begin to come up and rise up, and you begin to aim not at the pawns, but at the generals, like I said, one of the major issues of basic spiritual mapping is I've always, and people just go, oh, I never thought of that, and it always cracks me up. I tell them, if you're really serious about changing your community, instead of just praying, praying, praying for that, find out who the worst dude is in the, in the community. Find out the guy that's the meanest guy that every young person's afraid of. Find out who the most wicked landowner is. Find out who the most rotten politician is. Whatever, I'm saying those are like the heads. They're, they're chalices many times, in the words that, that... I'm saying aim at a general. And don't you know he's the influencer? And he'll still be the influencer. And people begin to listen to them because people want heroes. And see, these are anti-heroes already. But do you hear what I'm trying to say? We're so busy shooting at the ponds that we don't, we don't go to the heart of the enemy. We're dealing with this little stuff that's right in front of us. You need to rise above it and see how God sees. Look beyond the ponds to what's behind it over there. Think a little bit. Use your mind. Let God's Spirit lead you and teach you about what you really pray about. You get, you, you know, get, don't shoot at the wall when you can find a pillar that's holding the wall up. <laughs> B. Point A, wisdom is the aim of the heart of the enemy, not the feet. Moses doesn't confront the people of Egypt, but the prince of Egypt. Point B, first things first, however. Verse 19, the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life for killing the Egyptian are dead. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on donkeys and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. He just kept that authority with him. The Lord said to Moses, when you return into Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all those miracles and wonders which I have put in your hand, but I will make him stubborn and harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, your firstborn. But now watch this little two or three scriptures that we often just slip over. Along the way, in other words, Moses is heading back to Egypt. Along the way at a resting place, the Lord, listen how this is worded. The Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. 
made him acutely and almost fatally ill. Now, apparently he had failed to circumcise one of his sons, his wife being opposed to it. Don't get mad at me. There's times to listen to your wife and there's times not to. There's times to listen to your husband and there's times not to. Not when it comes to holy things of the covenant. But seeing his life in such danger, Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it to touch Moses' feet and said, Surely a husband of blood you are to me. When he let Moses alone to recover, Zipporah said again, A husband of blood are you because of the circumcision. Then it just goes on. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mountain of God at Sinai and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs with which he had charged him. Moses and Aaron went and gathered together in Egypt all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the Israelites and that he had looked in, in compassion upon their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship. But now back to this issue. Moses begins this journey of an intercessor, intercession. Moses begins this journey, the actual journey of intercessor to God's people when he becomes severely ill and almost dies. He'd failed to circumcise his son. The whole incident, if you can really see how graphic this was when this happens. I mean, how can you imagine you're on your way in obedience to God? You've had a divine visitation and boom, you're ready to die. And the solution is what? His son needs to be circumcised. What is that saying? What is circumcision a token of? The the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. So listen to what, what, why does God just stop him in his tracks before you go any further and you actually engage this enemy? You need to be sure that you're operating within the confines of the covenant. Listen. This whole incident is declaring to Moses the rigid faithfulness of God to his covenant and it's designed to impregnate Moses with the knowledge that he must not compromise his covenant with God. Do not move anywhere towards delivering my people without staying in the power of the covenant. His wife Zipporah had opposed the circumcision and Moses had acquiesced. But there's one thing I want you to want to hear as far as on this journey towards intercession. About, I want you to get in those three verses about Moses almost died. Going towards obedience to do what God had told him to do on this project, this this whole issue. He almost dies because of something that's personal that he hasn't taken care of as far as really walking within this covenant. Do you hear me? Because the power of God is the power of the covenant, is the power of his name. It's all tied up because the name and the covenant, this is all one thing. But here he is personally on his way to do something mighty for God. But along the way, it says God meets him and almost kills him (laughs) because he hadn't circumcised his son. What does that say? I'll tell you what it says to me. It says this, as far as my covenant, before I really seriously go to deal with something that has any weight to it, I need to make sure that Rod's walking within the covenant. But what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means, what I wrote down for myself. Number one, I'm going to take communion consistently. But I want to tell you something else. I want to make sure I'm not breaking covenant in the most basic of issues. Number one, like this. Am I still harboring unforgiveness? I'm I'm talking about, you think you're going to go against the powers of darkness that are over a person's life or something? 
and you're holding that broken part of the covenant in your own spirit, you're not forgiving, I commend you, I exhort you in the name of Jesus Christ, do not enter into the reality of spiritual warfare if you're not a tither. Do you hear me? If you're not a tither, tithing, giving, trust me, I don't care who's taught you what about tithing, it's Old Testament, it's New Testament, tough. It's the honor of God at stake. We return to the Lord what is His. I'm telling you, if if you're not even connected to that part of it, don't think you're going to go into some real spiritual warfare when they have that to work against your soul. Jesus said, remember, and i got to stop, Jesus said, the wicked one comes. But remember, he's got nothing in me that he can attach himself to. Now, we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect, like I said, and there's going to be a lot of areas of our life that are going to be, we won't have all, all that we need to know in. But I want to tell you, there are some basic issues to the covenant that we need to make sure we're clear in. I'm saying if you're going to step into this thing in depth, Don't think you can be just blatantly against the known purposes of God by walking in strife, ill will, unforgiveness, where you're literally, where you are robbing God, where there's a, where you're not honoring God with the first fruits of your increase, that the basics of our faith, and think you're going to go up and have some authority in the face of a devil. Because I want to tell you, that realm knows what's going on. That realm knows what's in our spirit. And he will condemn you and he'll rip you and he'll hurt you. But we're going to take care of that because we're going to stop along the way and we're going to say, okay, before I deal with this, I'm going to make sure I get right with God with my mind and I'm going to walk within the covenant with my whole heart. It has a whole lot more to do with anybody's teaching. It has to do with me having success in Christ. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you for this much again. We just trust that you're speaking to us about different areas of our lives and what have you because we want to grow. We want to be effective. I want to be effective. I can't live for anyone else, but I can live for me. So I speak life and blessing to your people, and I thank you, Father, that you are taking us from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. reached the end of part one. Part two is available for purchase from Prayer for the Nations. If you would like to obtain more teaching material by Rod Anderson, please visit www.prayerforthenations.com or call us or write to us using the contact details on your CD or cassette case.